0: welcome football fans buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of let's talk xfl the only podcast solely focused on the xfl from a sunny southwest florida studio here's your host michael lathrop hello football fans this is episode 9 the tail arms race i hope everyone had an enjoyable and safe christmas As we are sandwiched here between two holidays, I am grateful for your patronage and tuning into this episode. For today's show, we have some news that broke before the holiday to cover. Later, I will be joined by Zach Kyleman to discuss the potential arms race and address whether there is enough talent to fulfill rosters of multiple professional spring football leagues. So let's get to it. On December 21st, the XFL announced six key football operation hires. Among their list of additions was both Brad Campbell and David Dykeman, who I have previously mentioned in past episodes. Just to refresh your memory, Brad Campbell has been appointed as the Senior Director of Football Technology and David Dykeman is the Director of Football Special Projects. However, the other four appointments were not previously elite. Returning to the XFL is Russ Gigolo, as the Senior Director of Player Administration and Officiating Operations, and Bobby Monica, as the Senior Director of Equipment Operations, as well as two new faces, Jim Manos, as the Senior Director of Football Operations, and C.J. Cavazos, as the Director of College and Professional Relations. If you haven't already seen the league's press release, I will share with you a brief role description and some of the backstories on each of the new four hires, beginning with Russ Gigolo. He is a seasoned football administrator and returns to the XFL as the Senior Director of Player Administration and Officiating Operations, where he will be responsible for establishing and enforcing roster policies and procedures, such as the player draft contracts and waivers. He will work closely with Mark Ross, the Executive Vice President of Football Operations, and report directly to Doug Wally, the Senior Vice President of Player Personnel, to support all officiating and player operation initiatives, including database synchronization and rule establishment and review. Importantly, Gagelow will help advise team personnel to ensure equity in player acquisition. During his 15-year career, Gagelow has held various positions at both the collegiate and professional levels with organizations such as the National Football League, Big Ten Conference, the Pac-12 Conference, and Alliance of American Football. He keeps his officiating credentials current and has been a high school football official for the past eight years. Moving on to Jim Munoz, he joins the XFL as the Senior Director of Football Operations, where he will assist with player procurement as well as support day-to-day operations, including travel coordination and scheduling for each of the teams. Munoz will work closely with Mark Ross and Doug Wally to assist with all team needs during the season. Monos joins the league after spending the past year as a football analyst at Spotlight Sports Group. Prior to that, he spent 17 years working in the National Football League as an area scout for the Philadelphia Eagles and New Orleans Saints and director of player personnel for the Buffalo Bills. Now moving on to Bobby Monica, he returns to the XFL as a senior director of equipment operations, where he will be responsible for the ordering of football-related equipment for all teams. In addition, he will oversee the equipment staff for each team, Monica brings over 24 years of experience as Head Equipment Manager in the National Football League, working with the Miami Dolphins, Jacksonville Jaguars, and Cleveland Browns. Prior to joining the XFL in 2020, Monica worked at Zebra Motion Works Sports Solutions as the Operations Specialist and was previously the Director of Equipment Operations at the United Football League. Monica will report to Mark Ross. Next, C.J. Cavajos joins the XFL as a Director of College and Professional Relations where he will work closely with Mark Ross and Doug Wally on all aspects of talent recruitment. Cavajos has more than 25 years of experience in recruitment as the founder and CEO of his eponymous Recruiting Company and is a deeply respected talent evaluator. He brings with him a strong network of both collegiate and professional coaches and will be a key part of on-field operations. I believe it is safe to say the XFL has staffed its front office with capable and experienced executives. It is likely that lower-level office personnel are already in place and well at work. Once the league announced its cities and teams, I would expect for them to announce team president hirings. Speaking of anticipation of cities and teams, On Christmas Eve, Dwayne The Rock Johnson dropped some interesting nuggets on CNBC's Tech Check. During The Rock's interview with Carl Quitanlia, he discussed an array of his business adventures, including the XFL. I won't spoil it for you. Instead, I will provide you with a clip.
1: You know, there's a lot of sports fans here watching and with you guys, too, as well. We are a little over one year away from launching um, our XFL, and that is our professional football brand uh, with our chairwoman, Danny Garcia, and our other partner, Jerry Cardinal from um, Redbird Capital. And we should maybe within the next month or maybe two months, we're going to be announcing our broadcast partners, which we're very excited about and uh, new, new teams, new cities, and very excited about that. And again, as a former player, uh, myself, what an opportunity it is to create, for, uh, create an opportunity for other players yeah. uh, to live out their dream and take care of their families. So excited about that. So bring on 2022.
0: This is a fantastic precursor to news that will be dropping in the next month or so. The good news? It appears the league has secured a broadcasting agreement. And it's just a matter of announcing it. I'm not going to speculate who it could be. We must wait and see who the broadcasting partners are. The most interesting part of this interview is the Rock's comments on new teams and new cities. To be fair, it could mean a couple of things. One, it could mean that all eight teams from 2020 may not return for 2023. After all, there is some crossover of cities with the USFL teams, Houston, New Jersey, and Tampa Bay, as well as Major League Football's potential kickoff, In the fall of 2022. If you are not familiar with their plans, they are shooting for an ambitious 32 teams. Among them are Dallas, Houston, Los Angeles, New Jersey, New York, St. Louis, and Washington, D.C. As you may already know, the USFL has plans to play in a central hub in Birmingham, Alabama. Even though they are not starting out in other cities, to ignore each of the team's namesake cities would be foolish and outright poor business planning. The same can be said for regarding the potential Major League Football markets. I know these league seasons will not be during the same time, with the USFL starting in April and Major League Football's target of playing in the fall. But I can't help but be somewhat concerned that it's a bit of competition for the average person and family's budget. I believe at some point people will have to choose what games and teams they can afford to attend. I'm not worried about television ratings. I believe if the product is good enough and presented well, people will tune in and watch it. The second potential outcome, it could also mean that each of the eight teams do return and additional teams will be added for 2023. Could we see 10 teams, maybe 12 teams? At this point, it's anyone's guess. We will have to wait and see what happens. In this moment, I am not worried about these details. I am encouraged that the biggest and most important marketing and revenue source has been secured. Broadcasting agreements will pave the way for the league, whether it be financially or getting word out to the masses. Then on December 26, St. Louis NBC KSDK affiliate reported the St. Louis Convention and Visitors Commission said that the XFL and City had preliminary discussions about the league returning. This is an interesting bit of information it clearly does not say that a deal has been agreed upon. If the XFL are prepared to announce cities and teams in a month or two, I would imagine the league would already have leases secured. Although this appears to be great news, I can't help but be skeptical about the Battlehawks' future in St. Louis. For the record, I hope a deal is already complete or close to almost being done. As I have previously mentioned, we will now be joined by fellow XFL Newsroom contributor and podcaster, Zach Kyleman. Zach is an alternative football enthusiast and is the host of the Gridiron Gallery podcast. Welcome, Zach. I appreciate you taking the time to join the show to discuss the talent arms race.
1: Yeah, man, it's going to be good. I'm excited to talk this topic because, I mean, XFL and USFL, it seems like it's ever growing to be kind of the battle for supremacy in the spring football spectrum. So this is going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It's definitely going to be an arms race, though. No doubt about it.
0: No doubt. Can you take a moment and provide some of your backstory for our listeners?
1: Yeah, sure thing. So main thing I've been doing as of the last two years is really the gridiron gallery podcast, which started out as really an arena football show back in April, 2019. I eventually got comfortable with arena football. And then I got, I wanted to start looking into other leagues and that helped me get curious about alternative and spring football leagues. So I started talking XFL and, and other stuff like say the FCF came up as well. And I've been just kind of really building the show to be an all encompassing place to talk about, you know, anything that's really not the NFL at for the most part. So yeah, last year has been doing that. I have another show inside the walls, which is an arena football podcast in general, which I just love the sport in its own right. And then, uh, As an experimental piece, I do Gridiron Japan, which is uh, Japanese football. So, yeah, I'm just a podcast guy. I I, I have a fun time with it. I I love the world of football, and obviously my experimentation through all three of those shows kind of – I hope that lays that out for you people.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. You are well-versed in the alternative football sphere and expert, if you will. Seeing there's now an abundance of spring or summer football leagues, just to name a few. We're looking at the Canadian Football League with nine teams, fan-controlled football with four, but potentially eight. Uh, Indoor Football League with 16 teams. Major League Football, if it ever gets off the ground, thinking about 32. National Arena League has six teams. The USFL now with eight, and the XFL with eight teams. I know there are various international leagues as well, but those leagues have a mixture of players from other countries in addition to Americans. I guess what I'm trying to get at is there are numerous leagues vying to play in a similar window, which is the NFL off season. Are there enough professional caliber football players to field all of these teams, or is it just a matter of fans needing to temper their expectations?
1: Ooh, man, that, that is a good question because here's the thing I could think we've already talked plenty enough, at least in our own inner circles about just like XFL and US, USFL going for talent and how that's being discussed at this moment. But it is kind of, when you think about how much is being drawn in just the North American sphere of football, there is a lot to take in. I will say off the bat, I think there's enough to go around just based on how many levels of the game there is, it just depends on where that talent's going to go. Because, of course, the NFL is always going to get supposedly, you know, quote unquote, the cream of the crop. It's going to happen that, that happens, it's the lo- highest level of football in the sphere. It's the one that really made the sport famous worldwide. So, yes, it's going to get the best products. Now, what happens after that is how you look at the trickle down who gets what. I think there's enough talent. You look at college football, division one, division two, you have NAIA, you know, even Division Three in sorts. There's plenty of schools and people that are going to play that you can then have go to tryouts, you can then have go to combines, and you can look at. You know, the question then becomes quality. I think quantity's not the problem. Quality is then going to be the issue on what players are we getting, and can this be quality enough talent? So, for example, the XFL, it hasn't really said anything. If we look at 2.00 compared to 3.0, I would assume some similar prospects will happen with 2.0 as 3.0, where you're going to see possibly trying to appeal to the college players that might want to get out earlier, say the transfer portal. You'll have veterans that have been in the game that maybe they want a new step in life or possibly a reset where they can go to a league and kind of get a new jump at a different opportunity. Think of like a Cameron Artis-Payne or P.J. Walker or you know someone like Jordan Ta'amu who just came out of college back at the time you know, those guys either were in the NFL or they had just kind of tried to get in or they were just out of college and wanted a way to get in is how that was. Even Taylor Heineke was, is a better example where he was in the NFL, went out and then goes in as a backup in the XFL and then goes back in and you can argue he's even more famous and now has a chance for a full starting job with Washington football team at this moment. So the XFL is probably going for that. The USFL, completely different. We now know that they want to go for like group of five level talent in a way or transfer type of talent. If they can, they're following the youth spring league model that is modeled for what the USFL is now. Thanks to Brian Woods, because they want to have youthful talent and guys that can come in early and they can make their own stardom in this league rather than relying on veterans that have already been there, done that. You know, and then we can keep trickling down even more. You know, the FCF, I think, is just in general going for anyone that wants to try out. Um, If it's more of the arena mold where there's arena guys that have played in the arena indoor scene, you know, and then those other indoor leagues, like you're talking the IFL and the NAL, similar deal. They're looking for guys that have been there or they're guys that are newly in that are just like, hey, I need a place to jump into pro football. This is my first opportunity. So really, these leagues are going for different spots. It's just that which one's going to get more quality and even then, you know, which sect is going to get that quality because, you know, USFL XFL, you argue that's its own different level that they're competing with themselves. They're Not really competing with indoor indoors, a completely different scene and really in the indoor you're talking FCF versus IFL versus NAL in terms of that talent pool. So they might interchange but generally they look for guys that are either accustomed to or looking just to get in or in the USFL XFL scene, they're looking for guys that are good enough to already play. They just needed an opportunity to get a little more exposure to have that NFL tape already. If that makes any sense, that's kind of what I'm trying to go is like, there's enough talent. It's just that the quality and the divisions between the two types of football really play into this the most. So you have to look at it in that sense where you're almost doing splits or different branches, if you will, for how this talent trickles down from those different levels in college. And the international is growing bigger too. But then again, as we're talking about the ELF, for example, that most people are going to stay in that sector of the world, you know, over there in the EU or different varying countries of that portion of the world. So there it could be some trickle from international, but it's probably less likely. And then the CFL, it's more about, you know, players that maybe, you know, say they want a different experience or maybe they think the CFL is a better avenue for, you know, getting the NFL, that's one that I think competes directly more for the XFL and USFL talent because they're looking for North Americans that they want to get. You know, the CFL still has the ratio rules. They have to get Canadian talent in first, but the American talent is what they want in terms of what makes the bigger plays, what makes maybe more of the more talented rosters. So they'll be fighting for those as well.
0: Glad you brought up the ratio rules for the CFL. I could see this being a potential rule being utilized to help fulfill rosters as well as a marketing tool. Foreign players would help to grow the league's presence internationally and ultimately resulting in additional broadcasting partners and a significant increase in revenue. The XFL's ownership group has previously mentioned having a global presence. If they're not making plans to place a team outside of the United States, Should the XFL take a chapter out of the Canadian Football League's playbook and adopt a foreign player requirement for each of its teams?
1: Ooh, good question. If you could do that, I think that would be a fascinating piece to this puzzle because they are emphasizing the global aspect. And there's good international talent, by the way. You can just go to, I mean, if I'm talking just levels of play in terms of countries, really Japan and Germany, in my opinion, highest quality homegrown talents or countries that are accustomed to the sport the most. But even then, you know, in the French have had great club teams as well. There's also good club teams, for example, in really the Scandinavian region too, funny enough. Austria has one of the best Club leagues in the world. So you can pull talent from there too if you want. And maybe that's how the ratio helps out. Maybe for the most part, you could start, say, getting German talent in as well, you know, and do something like the CFL has where they try and have like an international draft and kind of add that component in to this whole thing if you wanted. And I, even if you wanted to go more continental, you could even talk about, say, Canada right above you, which you'd be competing directly for Canadians for that. Or the market that is right now exploding with football that everyone's looking at right now. I'm looking south to Mexico, and I'm saying that if you don't get a team in, say, Mexico City, you can then talk and go, hey, there's the LFA down there that has been growing exponentially as of late. Sans maybe COVID, of course, knocking out their 2020 season we could probably get some players from those university teams in Mexico. And maybe that's the way we do this ratio. If you want to do something along that line, otherwise you can go in the international scene and maybe do teams. If it's not ratio, obviously Mexico city to me makes a lot of sense. If you want to do something down South, everyone talks about Toronto these days, but you know, I think that's still up in the air. I know some people think that's going to happen. I know it's probably talked about, of course, behind the scenes, but that's a crap shoot. In my opinion, because you're banking basically to me on a team leaving its league where it's in its largest media market for the CFL. So does that happen completely up in the air? And I, I can't even give you a definitive yes or no. Like I can give you an opinion. I don't think it should happen or I don't think it will with what they're trying to do up there. Will it happen? I don't know. I don't have a definitive answer. My opinion is the only thing I can give you. For the ratio rules, though, I think that's kind of a smart idea. If, say, you didn't do Mexico City or something right away or, like, did an international market right away, screw it. That's a connection globally right there, you know, and that challenges the CFL's global initiative where they're doing combines for players. You're already competing with them then. And that's kind of your competition to me is the CFL or even the USFL because those are the leagues below the NFL. Those are the leagues you're competing with, not the NFL, the guys that are going for talent that is not, maybe not the exact cream of the crop but is looking to get to that level and that you can maybe find all the diamonds in the rough. Those are what those leagues are looking for.
0: Looking back to the USFL's first iteration, I see some framework for a potential success that the XFL should incorporate in 2023 and beyond. I know the USFL eventually folded but they were able to retain players for more than one season. Mm -hmm. I see this as a key component for continued growth. Fans want to follow more than just a logo and nickname. They enjoy the entirety of a team sports aspect, whether it be player development, comeback player stories, dynasties, drafting to fulfill roster weaknesses, et cetera. What I'm trying to get at, is it possible for the XFL to draft contracts in a way that will help keep rosters intact year after year? Could they offer a three-year contracts while including a clause for players to pursue their NFL dreams?
1: Ooh. And yeah, I mean, that's possible. Um, This is kind of a normal thing in other sectors of football. I mean, arena indoor, this happens quite often where you'll have players sign on and in their quick contract, they'll put a clause that says they can move on to another league. I mean, I know Martavius Bryant didn't play in the CFL last year, but he played in the IFL with the Massachusetts Pirates, and part of the reason he was playing that was to kind of stay in shape and was to move on. He eventually did leave that roster, but I think in terms of like the XFL or the USFL, yeah, I mean, that's likely. The AAF had something very similar in that stance where they were paying their supposedly, and this is You know, back when we thought it was going to be a legitimate league, you know, they were doing three-year contracts worth upwards. I'm trying to remember the numbers off the top of my head for that, but they were three-year deals was the basis of it. And you could have an out to go to the NFL. I believe the XFL also had something similar, though it depends on really how I say recruited that talent was because they did bar some players from leaving before the season even started. I mean, we remember Landry Jones was supposed to go to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the XFL actually blocked that move because he was on under contract with them. So, Josh I think Johnson it, as well, right? Yeah, that was another one too because he's—I mean, Josh Johnson. We can talk about how many teams he's gone to. He's like a perennial backup, in a good way. I mean, dude has a good story behind him. You know, has been either in the NFL or some spring or alternative league in some form in his career. You see that, and really, I think that there's a way you can do it. You know, I think you take something similar to what the model of the indoor leagues are when it comes to at least, like, adopting, like, an out. I think there has to be some sort of penalty towards whatever league it is, mostly the NFL, and I think the NFL has to understand that. You know, I know that these leagues aren't competing, but say they want a talent that's in that league, and they go, oh, this guy's pretty good. You know, either A, you can wait, like, say it's the USFL, you wait until, say, June or July to then pick him up and then get him into training camp you know, and get them up to speed really quick. Or you have to hopefully, maybe there's a buyout scenario. You know, they pay the league directly or whatever team it is directly. And then you can do it that way. You know, say you get the, you get the contract and then you give a penalty towards the league, like the XFL where, okay, you have to owe me a certain amount of cash to get this contract out. Plus you got to pay for his, you know, kind of like a cell phone buyout deal. You know, they advertise those on TV. I kind of see it being like that. It's possible though. Like I said, this is a common thing in indoor, It's mainly because it's a smaller scene, but you can do something on a grander scale if you need it to.
0: I just see it being very important because when I look at the USFL from the eighties, you know, Jim Kelly, I mean, I'm not looking for that status of a player when you just see Jim Kelly play the 84 and 85 season with the gamblers. Herschel Walker played the 83, 84 and 85 season with the generals. Yeah. Jim Smith playing with the the Stallions from 83, 84, 85, Bobby Herbert with the Michigan Panthers, 83, 84, John Reeves with the Tampa Bay Bandits in 83, 84, 85. Just to use some examples, I just see players playing for an XFL team for a number of seasons as an important component for the league's future. It helps to build storylines and rivalries. This is another thing the Canadian Football League does very well and something the XFL needs to consider.
1: Yeah, well, I was just about to say, it's funny you mentioned the CFL. They need to be able to retain roster pieces. It's funny enough, we were talking about this in the community here. I say the XFL community that is back in 2.0, when we weren't thinking the league was going to go under, and they canceled the season midway through, that the XFL was looking to potentially give contracts that were decent quality ones to P.J. Walker and Jordan Ta'amu. Why would they do that? Because those are familiar names and they're marketable names after their performances that you can keep that around and you keep fan familiarity as you are talking about. That is massively important past year one. You want to have some sort of roster semblance to have fans rally behind. You know, I, I funny enough, I'll even bring this up right now. You know, the FCF, for example, fan Controlled football, a lot of fans actually rallied around players in that league last year in season one a lot of those key stars aren't coming back. And I, that to me is a massive concern. They have other stuff going for them, but I think to me with a newer league, especially in the spring alternative scene when it's not NFL and there's not a massive cream of the crop pool that fans are used to or stable stars that have been going on for you know several years at this point, you're absolutely right, Michael, there has to be people that, you know, after year one, they find a way to keep these guys on or at least a majority of them, if they can, if they don't move on elsewhere, you know, where they have contracts that are a sustainable for them to play and live their lives and B to where they can possibly make more. If the league grows more with it, because the idea is you have big stars. The USFL had them because at that time, the NFL in the eighties was not paying players up to the snuff. They were today. The USFL actually was the ones that generated and kind of said, Hey, we'll pay some big money for you to come play here. And that actually switched the whole – how the way the sport was paid for and how the salaries were post-1985 and during that period because the NFL had to start realizing they had to pay players to keep up with the USFL. They were a big threat back then. Even with how much debt the league was incurring at that time, they scared the NFL. So I I know that you can't do that now. I mean the NFL is paying – the Chiefs, that is, are paying Patrick Mahomes half a billion dollars. like. I don't think you see the XFL or the USFL in particular dropping half a billion for like a, for like say a PJ Walker, who again great player in the league, but not a half a billion dollar player. So that's it's a fine line. You have to be able to pay them where it's a respectable amount for the league you're playing in, but you can't be paying NFL levels because you don't have that capital and you can't wait that long. Football leagues are going to be a losing game for a few years. The idea is once you get through those first few years, eventually those profits flip the switch and they start going the opposite way where red then turns into black. It's not an instant, you know, upward trending level. It's about getting the exposure and staying consistent to prove your product is going to be around for a long time. And that's something like say two iterations of the XFL. They haven't shown that yet. The USFL was getting there until they decided to switch to fall football when they said that in 1985. So that's what they did to themselves. They just need to find a way to stabilize. And that talent pool is a massive part of it. I'm glad you brought up the SFL. That was one of the reasons why people love it so much and why we look at this new version and OG fans dislike that because how can you live up to the people that were in that league? You can't. It's just that simple unless you start paying b- bonanza amount of money, which you won't. It's it, That's part of it. I agree.
0: I am glad you talked about the money. Because I'm concerned some of these leagues might try to outbid their competitors to secure better talent. Which could create a bidding war for players and ultimately driving up expenditures, making it difficult for them to be financially stable. What do you think could be done to prevent leagues from creating bidding wars for players?
1: It's hard to say. I mean, I think one thing is just to, first off, prove to your players that your league is doing things that are A, for the players, and B, that are showing that we are legitimately the ones that are going upward. I think proving that your league is truly the one to stay and hit your horse to, first off, will be the best way for a player to say, I'm sticking with my guns with these guys. Like, for example, the USFL is going to be starting in a few months, and you know, we obviously there's details that need to come out. You have people skeptical. I get that. But if this first year goes extremely well and say we're hearing about legitimately that they aren't just thinking about finally getting people to buy these teams, but they do have supposedly four of the eight sold to markets like they're planning on doing, or and then they go into next year and the XFL gets all their markets out and then they have to compete with that. After year two of the USFL, year one of the XFL, that's when you start seeing the potentially ridiculous bidding war type of atmosphere that might happen. I'm not saying it will, but there is a worry, I think, if you don't establish that you are looking like you are the one that is trending upward the most, that you either have some exodus of star talent or you have to pay more to pull them. And then that's when costs start going up. There is that fear, I think. But I think to me, as I'm going to reiterate, the solution is proving your product is indeed the best. And also I think viewership numbers will play in that. Whoever is going to get the best viewership numbers, and we'll hear about the XFL's broadcasts here within the next two months, and who's going to be playing what games on where. If Fox and NBC outperform whoever the heck the XFL has, then to me, players also have to look at it and go, well, if that has a potential for me to have more cash in there, and I have a potential to have an upward trend where I can stay with this league, Maybe I go there too. You know, I think it really depends on ownerships depends on whatever the players are getting and whatever their environment is. That's best as well. Whatever makes the players the most comfortable and what gets them the best living lifestyle, especially if you're a star player, that's going to be a big factor on who has to pay more and who stays with what league. And you're going to have to watch for those within the next three years, especially if the USFL staying around. If both of the leagues get to at least year two, year three, which is what that'll be in 2024 then we will have to see how interesting that gets. Simple as that. If one folds, we don't have to worry about this question, but if both of them are around at year two and three Mark in 2024, that spring, it's going to be a fun time uh, off season in this, in the winter and in the late summer, I guarantee that we'll be uh, tracking that and we're going to be having a, uh, a lot to say.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned we'll have to see what happens in year two, three, and four, because, When it's all said and done, and we're a few years down the road, how could this play out? Are we looking at mergers? Are we looking at somehow U.S. football stepping in to create a tiered system similar to what we see in baseball and hockey minor leagues? I mean, how
1: do you see this all playing out? Wow, you're bringing up tiers? Like, we're talking, like, soccer level of uh, stuff? Like, are you meaning, like, promotion relegation type of system?
0: I mean, let's just look at minor league baseball. Let's not talk about affiliation with a major league baseball team, but let's just look at a tiered system, how they have triple A baseball, double A baseball, and single A baseball, or in hockey, how they have the AHL and the, the ECHL. ECHL. I, gotta,
1: right. I, gotta, I, gotta, I got one so I mean, in like, Indianapolis.
0: <laughs> how could we see this? Is it possible that it's the Wild West still? With each of the teams, do we end up seeing mergers? Do we see something coming in like, hey, we need this spring football, all these alternative leagues to kind of make it. It's going to be good for player development. We're seeing a drop in youth within the sport because of the injuries, but we still need to be able to kind of funnel that pathway and create opportunity for these players to truly develop before just going to, you know, National Football League. So how do you see this playing out?
1: I really, that is a good question, and it's one that has a lot, again, similar to how we're talking the competitiveness for, like, say, player talent pool and who goes where, it really hinges on if these leagues are around, in my opinion, by 2024, proving that these leagues are not just a one-year stay, because you have to get over that stigma. First and foremost, in the public eye, you have to prove that you're past year one, because right now if you're not a super fan like us or those in our community, a lot of the general casual football fandom that is online or that talks about these leagues, it doesn't matter because as long, as long as they haven't gotten past year one, nothing matters. And if you don't get to year two, then we won't talk about it. Now, if for example, the best case scenario happens, we have both say the USFL, the XFL survive, maybe somehow MLFB shows up and does play, totally on the fence if it actually will, we'll find out, but say they do play, they survive. They're claiming their minor league. Okay. Maybe, maybe in a crazy world, maybe we do gotta start talking about a a kind of a level system where like, for example, the USFL and the XFL are on its own tier at the same height. NLFB maybe is like double a in a way. So you could do that. The one thing I think that some people want so badly And I know that Brian Woods from some of his talks in the past that maybe are from reading about him is that it's about that connection to possibly be a feeder league for the NFL because the NFL doesn't have a true feeder league. It's not like the other big five sports in the U S it just any fans or itself say, well, we got college. Why do we need feeder? You know, which of course some proponents like myself go well, and even some coaches say not everyone's ready for pro. That's why we could use something like that and that's why I think spring football in terms of like the professional scene with some coaches and executives think it's good is because it gets those players a chance to go play in pro leagues past college but you don't have to go jump into the fire right away with like all- stars cream of the crop guys that are gonna <laughs> gonna beat you down. I think that at some point if all things go right and we don't have to worry about just survivability, Maybe that does happen and we can designate. I think what's more realistic. You mentioned merger. I think to me, if both the USFL and the XFL survive and for some reason, one goes over the other and you're talking survivability and those that maybe want to stay in the scene and see that one product's better than the other, or maybe they both see themselves as similar and they want to elevate themselves to be a definitive number two and eventually say, screw it. I'm going to challenge the NFL instead and they want to compile resources. Then that's when a merger happens to me. But for now, I think a merger is going to be if you somehow have the best case everyone survives and gets through this and no one has to fold the doors and everyone's making a profit. Right now, that's completely uncertain that everybody's going to make a profit. And both leagues have a completely different philosophy. One wants to go right into markets right away like the traditional sense. And the USFL is trying to do a completely different approach that we are very much... Kind of squinting our eyes at. I even am doing it because it's like, oh my God, you have city teams attached to their mascots again. And you're saying you're going to sell these off rather than putting them in markets, going straight into the community engagement and doing that. I don't know what's going to work or not. But if they both are successful, then maybe we get to that point. That's if I hope. Otherwise, I think both of them, at least those two, and maybe like the MLFB, if they ever play again it's a total crap shoot for that i think they just want to see if one can even outlast the other because whoever does folds the, will get the other's talent most likely and then that opens the door for potentially much larger growth for whoever has to accumulate those that want to go play in another league on that same tier so right now it's about maybe seeing who can survive or outlast the other for maybe the next five to ten years if all works out correctly
0: without survival The rest of it doesn't matter, but it does make people wonder. Some great (laughs) stuff, Zach, some great stuff. Uh, This has been fun. I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. We should do this again sometime.
1: Absolutely. I will gladly come back onto this show, Michael. I appreciate that. If some of our listeners
0: want to follow you or some of your shows and work, where could they do so?
1: Oh, yeah. You can definitely follow me along. Um, I would say definitely check out Gridiron Gallery as the main show. If you want most of all the leagues I talk about and you say you don't just want indoor football or Japanese football, check out Gridiron Gallery for the main one and most of my takes, either from there or my personal account. That's at GridGalleryPod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Again, at GridGalleryPod. Also, any of the interviews I do with those in the industry or those that are in the journalism aspect of this – that I do for shows, you can find those interviews on my YouTube page. So that's gridiron gallery on YouTube. Search that up. I got plenty of videos going on trying to grow that subscriber count as well. So I'd appreciate that. And subscribing to us on our podcast platforms, which we're on pretty much any of them. You can imagine at this point, that'd be a big solid as well. But yeah, check out that show. If you want mostly all encompassing football talk rather than just maybe one specific piece. Perfect.
0: I hope you have a safe and happy new year.
1: Same to you as well, friend. I Thank you, Michael. I, <laughs> this has been a good one. I, I, Like I said, I will gladly come back on the show another time.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thank you. In addition to Zach's opinion, I posted a poll on the show's social media. I simply asked, with a multitude of professional football leagues, is there enough professional caliber players to fulfill all rosters? The poll received 62 votes. Yes, receiving 79% and no receiving 21%. It is good to see that football fans are not concerned with the quality of players for each of these leagues. And I hope they're right. As always, all good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Let's Talk XFL. I recommend following Zach on social media and checking out his podcast. If you have not already done so, I ask that you take a moment, find our show on social media, and give us a follow and like as well as subscribing on your platform or choice. I am thinking about putting together a swag bag for those listeners who rate the show, of course, for only glowing reviews. So don't be a stranger. Hit me up and let me know what items you would like to see included. I wish you all a safe and happy new year. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Let's Talk XFL on your platform of choice. Follow Let's Talk XFL on Facebook and Twitter at Let's Talk XFL. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to letstalkxfl at gmail.com.